I say then, has God cast away His people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, God has not cast away His people whom He foreknew. Or do you not know what the Scripture says to Eliyahu or Elijah? How that pleads against God or with God against Israel, saying, Oh Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But, it's, but it would be of works. It's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Well, what then? Israel has not attained what it sought or seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as, as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see and ears that should not hear, even to this very day. And David says, well, let their table become then a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their backs always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And might I just say, woohoo! And if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure then riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. For if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are in my flesh, and save some of them, or of my flesh, in my flesh, save some of them. For if they're being cast away as reconciling, the reconciling of the world, well, what will their, their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, well, then the lump is also holy. And the root is also holy, well, then so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them then became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree... Do not boast against the branches, but if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say to them, well, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off. And if you stand by faith, do not be haughty, but fear. For if God God did not spare them the natural branches, we will not spare you either. Nevertheless, consider then, or therefore, Consider then the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were out of the olive tree, which was wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Now, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will then turn away godliness 
from Jacob, on ungodliness, I'm sorry, from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, well, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For if you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also who have been disobedient are now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you they may also obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. And if you go, what? Well, then you'd be brought to the same place that Paul is. Look at what he says. He breaks into this place where he's just like, my mind is oozing out of my ears and I'm going to praise him for it. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has become then his counselor? And who was first given to him that he should repay him or it shall be repaid for him? Or to him, for of God and through him and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful word. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do tonight, for the enlightenment you're going to bring, for the clarity you're going to bring. So, Lord God, get me out of your way. Don't let me be in any way a speed bump or an impediment or whatever, Lord, but rather just make me a tool in your hands. Lord, so immerse me in your Holy Spirit that you would appear. Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit that you would speak and teach through me and to me, Lord, that I would be ministered to and that I would be ministered through. And so, Lord, in that, that every one of us would be spoken to personally tonight. Lord, that you would speak fluent every one of us tonight, right where we need to hear you, right where we crave to hear you, right where our hearts are hungry to hear you, and our ears open and receptive. Unplug our ears, open our hearts, Lord, and let tonight be a powerful night where we truly are ministered to so profoundly, Lord, that even the way we look at your word and the way we look at you is deeper and more beautiful. And in that, Lord, lead us to that place of worship and praise in you as we look at this text now. So, Lord, let our scripture that we have before us, let it burst open and come alive for us. May we have so much fun in it, Lord. So much fun. And we name every second, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight as it would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Now, please understand there's two aspects to this. The chapter is, in the simplest sense, fairly doctrinal. And what that simply means is that it helps you understand some aspect about God, his relationship to mankind, something along those lines. That's the danger of the chapter. Any place where all we get is doctrine, or we read it simply for doctrine, can be dangerous if you don't ask, so what? And please understand, I don't believe it'd be irreverent to ask God, so what? Why do I need to know this? Now, not in some cocky, tactless way, but I am convinced that there is no doctrine, there is no perspective that God gives us that does not connect to an engage button. Everything that God teaches us is for the purpose of changing our behavior. 
And if all we do is get smarter and know more stuff, we could become fat and lethargic and not change our behavior. And that is the danger and one of the reasons why I'm so concerned about people that, have, that, that are all about being experts in things and have all of these things. And, and, and I'm not against degrees and all that kind of pursuit. I think that's great. But if all you get is knowledge, what good is that? You could say, well, I feel like I know God more. But the problem is if I know God more, I should want to know God more because I want to be like Him more. And the better I know Him, the more I can start to see how I'm becoming like Him. Now, please understand, in Acts chapter 17, and the funniest thing to me about that particular text in Acts 17, and we're going to get into a few texts today, is that there are churches that actually build their whole model off of Acts 17. Here's the deal. Paul has had a really, really rough go. If you don't know who Paul is, he's a missionary that one, one time was a Christian killer. He was a Christian killer that God got a hold of. He converted, gave his life to Jesus Christ, and his whole life changed. And now all of a sudden he stopped just simply being somebody that chased after Christians to kill them. And now he preached the same gospel that he tried to destroy before that point. And this guy has no problem getting in your face. This, problem, this guy has no problem getting in there and clearly telling you this is what it is. And he goes and he heads up through the Aegean Bay. The area today that we, would, we might call sort of the area of, well, it's, it's arguable, but the area of Greece. Um, the area of Macedonia, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what we're looking at. Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea, those are places up there. And every place that Paul goes, it's a really rough route for him. I mean, he runs for his life. I mean, you know, when he's, I mean, to give you an idea, when Paul winds up in Philippi, he casts a demon out of a girl, and they basically try to kill him for it. They throw him in prison, they beat him, and then they, they find out that he's a Roman citizen, and that's a bit rough. Because you can't just do that to a guy that's a Roman citizen. So they kind of escort him out. He gets a prayer, but they're kind of like, don't come back. He gets into Thessalonica. He preaches the gospel. And the whole town rallies up and tries to kill him. They try to harm him and persecute him. I don't know. Anyways, you get the idea. And, and abuse him. Like, it's almost redundant and saying the same thing. And, and so he flees from there about another ten miles west. And the people of Thessalonica hear about it. And they hate him so much, they take the ten-mile ride over just to try to kill him in another town in their area. Now understand, this is at a time without cars. So understand, when Paul kind of leaves the area, I think he starts doing one of those ministry checks. Is this thing really working out? He had left Timothy, his, his traveling companions, he had left them up in Macedonia to make sure that the churches get founded, because it doesn't seem like anyone wants to kill them at the moment. Uh, Paul, on the other hand, he heads down into Athens. Now, he has traveled quite a distance now, a couple hundred miles. And as he's traveled down into Athens, this is a very different place from the places he had up here. Now, understand, the whole thing is sort of shaped like, like, a, like an old 1950s haircut from a girl. This is kind of the bay. And this whole area up here that is Macedonia, down here now, this is the area of Chaya, or we would say today the area of Greece. So there's Athens and Corinth. Now, he arrives in Athens, and what we, the joke about Athens, to this day, by the way, is that there are more idols than people in Athens, which, by the way, is still true to this day. You can go to Athens and buy the most obscene things you'd think that guys would have invented in junior high. Anyway, but, but with that, Paul kind of shows up, and what he sees is he sees like there's idols to everything, and Paul, basically what he tries to do is he's like, hmm, how do I engage this culture? Sounds really nice, doesn't it? How do I engage this culture? So Paul starts to speak to them. 
And he says, now listen, I, I recognize you guys are spiritual people. You're religious people. Now please stop before we go any farther. And again, don't just believe me on any of this. Search it for your own. Have you ever had anyone say that to you? Like they're trying to draw a bridge with you? Oh, you're spiritual? I'm spiritual too. Like we're going to go, oh, goody. That's kind of like you're a pharmacist. And someone goes, oh, you're a pharmacist? I make drugs too. Like we should go, oh, that's really good, right? Because it's kind of the same idea, right? We have the prescribed truth and there are other people that are making it up as they go along. That's the idea here. I'm spiritual too. And Paul kind of plays that out. It's like, I recognize you guys are spiritual. You've got idols for everything. You've got idols for this. You've got idols for that. And I saw just in case, and, I, and we, can, we won't develop the history, but there was this idol that just kind of, just in case we missed something, the unknown God. And he goes, well, can I represent him, that idol that you, you know, just that kind of covers, the, he does the cleanup in case you missed, you know, with the other idols. And he starts to speak and he starts to philosophize with these people. And he tries to come, pardon me for saying it's necessary, but I'm going to come straight at the throat of this. He comes in it from a very apologetic perspective. He comes in it from a perspective of trying to, listen, 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 rely on his wisdom to argue, to rely on his wisdom, to rely on his mental capacity to construct a decent argument because it's a very Greek way of thinking. And he thinks, if I could just construct the right argument then maybe they'll get some, I'll get somewhere with these guys. Please hear me. Usually the way that works in church is the opposite. I don't think I can construct the perfect argument, so I won't share. And that's what shuts down evangelism in a church. Can I just say this? The gospel is the power of salvation. Listen, not a power, the power of salvation to those who would believe. It's just that simple. The, the gospel is the power to save. Then, it's, then listen to this. In John chapter 16, it tells us that the Holy Spirit convicts. The word is convince. Convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin means you, you have a problem. You've got, you need to get right. Righteousness, this is how to get right. Judgment, this is what happens if you don't. The Holy Spirit's job is to convince. Guess whose job it isn't? Yours. Let me just say this again. The gospel saves, the Holy Spirit convinces. So what's your part again? Your part is to say, okay, use me. And the Holy Spirit goes, shoop, shoop, and he uses you. That's that simple. Imagine if the farmer looked and he went, I don't really understand how these seeds grow. I'm not going to plant them. I mean, he's like, I, I don't know. If, I, I look and I can't tell if this one's going to germinate or this one's going to germinate. They look the same. And I, I sniff them and I put them up my nose and, and they look the same. And I, and I hold them up to the sun and I can't see a difference. Just plant them, buddy, and see what happens. I don't know. Those people, that's hard ground, bro. I don't know. You know, you can't really tell who's going to say yes and who's going to say no. Well, you can tell this. Nobody's going to say yes until they have a choice. I guarantee you, nothing that you want's going to grow in your field if you don't plant something. And here's the danger, beloved, is you get so caught up. And I can't argue. God says, you don't need to argue. I, I don't have all the words. You don't need all the words. You need these. So let me just make it simple so that I could send you out of here with this. Although we're going to go deeper into this, but we may not get through the chapter. I can tell already. Go to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, would you please? 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the reason why I picked this text is because, well, duh, it's actually the gospel laid out for you. Now, if you can't walk, if you walk out of here tonight and don't know the gospel after this, one of two things has happened. One, I have done a horrible job of presenting this, which I don't even have to do very well. And the second is, or you're in a coma. And you can decide that on your own. Now listen, verse 1. Moreover, brothers, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you have received, in which you stand. That gospel. Let me see if I got this right. The gospel was preached to you, the gospel is what you received, and the gospel is what you stand on. Did you get that? So just in case you want to know, that's gospel, gospel, gospel. No argument, no anything. And this was a guy who's good at arguing. By which you're saved. So, the gospel was preached to you, the gospel is what you received, the gospel is what you stand on, and the gospel is what saved you. In that sense. If you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you've believed in vain, I delivered to you that which I first also received. Are you ready for this? Here's the really brilliant and super difficult message. Christ died for your sins, according to Scripture. Number one, Christ died for your sins, according to Scripture. Let's see if you can say that. What's number one? Ooh, hey, by the way, that's good because you just got information, but that information should do something to you. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, notice what just happened here. Your sins have just got washed away. Listen, number one, Christ died for my sins and your sins according to Scripture. Christ died for your sins according to Scripture. Your turn. That was worse than the first time. Let's try that again. Ready? And Christ died for your sins according to Scripture. Did you get it? That's number one. Well, that was really rough. And a woohoo. I was hoping there would be a woohoo in there somewhere. Listen, second, ready? Here's the second one. This is really difficult. He was buried. What's number two? Okay, good. I'm sorry. What was number two? Yeah, you could be brand new. You could have never stepped foot in a church before. You got number two, didn't you? He was buried. What's number one? Beautiful. And what's number two? He was buried. Did you get it so far? Okay, here's number three. I know it's going to be rough. Listen. And he rose again on the third day according to Scriptures. Here's the third one. And he rose again on the third day according to Scriptures. Your turn. Okay, okay, here we go. It's going to be really rough. Ready? What was number one? And a woohoo. What's number two? Yeah. What was number three? He rose again on the third day according to Scriptures. You get it? Now listen to the rest. Okay, listen. After that, this is according to Scriptures, and then he was seen by Cephas, Kephas, and then the twelve. After that he was seen, uh, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part were still present, and some have fallen asleep. And then he was seen by James and his apostles. And then here's the last thing, ready? And he was seen by lots of people. How's that? And he was seen by lots of people. There you go, right? Now listen, listen. I just gave you the power to see people saved. You realize that? It was a life raft. It's a life ring. It doesn't have to be pretty. If you're drowning, I'll take it. It can be pink with little unicorns. I will take it. 
if it's going to save me, I'll take it. It can say, the guy that's on this thing's a loser and a dork. It's okay as long as it saves me. As long as I'm humble enough to know that I need to be saved. Listen, Christ died for your sins according to Scripture. He was buried. He rose again on the third day according to Scripture. And then he was seen by lots of people. Did you get that? That's the whole gospel message. Now listen, Paul, we're back in our story now. Paul is in Athens. And he doesn't do that. And one of my favorite verses in chapter 17, listen, it says, All the Athenians did was nothing but talk about and hear the latest thing. That is philosophy in a nutshell. Listen, all they did was nothing but talk about the new thing. Listen to the new thing. I pursued, before I knew Christ, I pursued a degree in philosophy. I actually didn't hand in an integral assignment, argued over it, and got full credit. I actually didn't show up for one of my tests, just to see how far I could go with this. Argued, got an A. That's when I realized, this thing's a game. These guys are going to go out and sell used cars when we're done. This is crazy. I mean, it was on, giving them a little break. It was on existentialism, so that was kind of helpful. But follow me on this. This is what Paul did. As he kind of looked and he went, okay, we're all about talking and hearing. I've got the new thing to tickle your brain. You know what it's like? It's like playing Nintendo in your head forever. It doesn't really go anywhere, but after a while you could get good at it. So you could brag to nobody else because nobody else really cares. Except maybe a website somewhere where nobody else really exists either. And they're like, okay. You know. And it's like, okay, I'm really good at killing zombies. Well, that'll come in really handy. No, never. Anyways, here's the point. Is that Paul, after all of this experience, and they said and the place where they sat was a place called Mars Hill. Interesting for what it's worth. And these guys all sat around, listen, they did nothing but talk. They listened to talk, they talked their talk, but they talked their talk and they listened to their talk and that was their whole religion. And that was the way cool thing. Here's the most amazing thing. At the end of that experience, when Paul was done in Athens, he left Athens and he went to Corinth and listen to what he says at the beginning of Corinthians. You know, you know that when I showed up, I resolved to know nothing and to share nothing but Jesus Christ and in him crucified. Do you know what that said? After Athens, Paul sat down and he said, hmm, how did that work out? That was terrible. Here's the interesting thing. Paul had gone up to Philippi. They beat him and imprisoned him. Where, by the way, they're praying at night, if you remember, singing hymns, and God does the jailhouse rock. And then from there, they go to Thessalonica, and they beat him and abuse him, and they flee. He goes to, to Perea. They he pre no, sorry, preaches the gospel, they beat him. The prison. Preaches the gospel, they beat him, he runs. Preaches the gospel, they gather together to beat him, and he runs. Right? He gets down here, sort of preaches the gospel, sort of really not lots of persecution. And if all you were about was just making sure your life was cool, you would have concluded, that's my new ministry. My new ministry is just talking about theology. But it wasn't about preaching Jesus. Who died for your sins, according to Scripture, he was buried, rose again on the third day, according to Scripture, and was seen by lots of people. 
who wrote it down. Now please hear me. If that is the gospel, and the Holy Spirit has to convince, now he might use you to do so, but you never have to be the one who constructs the argument. because it's, And Jesus says, stop thinking about it. Stop overthinking it. When the Holy Spirit has you in a situation, he'll do the talking. Isn't that what Jesus said? By the way, even if you're brought in front of kings, even if you're brought in front of guys that could go, and that's enough and your head gets lopped off, he goes, stop. Oh, yeah, that's an easy command, isn't it? Imagine if today you were arrested and taken to like Bangladesh or taken, or better yet, Baghdad or someplace like that, and there's like a sheik sitting there and he just looks and you just know at any moment he could go, ah, 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 whatever, and you know, and if the next thing you know, your head goes rolling off like a bowling ball and you're just kind of looking. Which one of you thinks, yeah, I'm not going to think at all about what I'm going to say? Let's be honest, somebody does you wrong. Don't you actually even already do the whole judge and jury in your head? I'll tell you, I'll present my case to myself where I'm bound to win because I presented it to myself. Please, please, please hear me. And this is just to get to the point of where we're on in the text. If all we're going to do is act like Mars Hill, if all we're going to do is act like Athens, can I just say it? We're pitiful. Because you know what we are? We're a bunch of people that think we're awesome because we're smart, but this is what we know. What we know is Jesus is the only way, but we won't tell other people. Jesus loves every human being, but we won't tell them. He died to set them free, but we'd rather see them in bondage. And we're told that he lives in us and he changed our lives. Exactly how do we actually preach with our lives the very thing that we think we know in our heads? Do you see what I'm saying? And there's the danger, my friends. Hey, look it, I'm not telling you you need to stand out in the street corner unless God is. But don't you dare criticize a guy on the street corner if you're not sharing at all. I've learned the people who are quickest to criticize an evangelist don't evangelize. That's kind of like the guy that always criticizes the basketball players, but that guy looks like a basketball. Clearly he ain't played basketball, and if he has, it ain't been for a long time. You have no right to criticize. Go on out there and play with those guys if you think they're so bad. Show me how bad they are then. Here's the point. Be available. Know the gospel. Because if you don't know the gospel, how do you know you're saved? And here's the doctrine of this chapter. And then we'll ask the so what, okay? The doctrine is this. Israel is not a lost cause. God's not bailed on them. Isn't that the simplest truth of it? The whole chapter basically revolves around this. God has not permanently removed Israel. Sad because by World War I, do you know the biggest teachers against that were here in this country? There was this whole concept called replacement theology. Any of you heard of it? There's other names for it as well. But the whole idea is this. God has permanently vacated Israel. He has nothing to do with them anymore. And the church now is the replacement. Now, in the chapter, what he makes clear is God has a missional statement for the church. Israel was supposed to be a light. The church is being a light. But God has specific promises for Israel. And those specific promises for Israel still belong to Israel. And that is fundamental. And the whole point of it, Paul says, look, do you think God has just said, all right, well, fine, let's just let all the Jews go to hell? Paul's like, hello, I'm a Jew, I'm saved. You can't say that. You can't argue that with a guy who's saved and Jewish, like Paul was. Do you get it? Now, that's the basic point of the whole chapter. 
And by the time you get, it's interesting because remember in chapter 2, he's like, look, for those of you in the church in Rome, you call yourselves Jews and you think you're a light and, you know, and a guide to the blind and all of that. Well, are you being instructed by the same word you're teaching? So he addressed the Jews in chapter 2. This chapter he addresses the Gentiles. He says, well, yo, yo, you think you're the hot thing? Because it's like, ha, 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 Israel got broken off and I got grafted in. It's like, hey, look, at if he broke off the natural branch, he doesn't have a problem breaking you off either. Don't you dare think you're a hot stuff. Or at least any more hot stuff than they are. And the bottom line on it, that's the simplest basic truth to the chapter. Does that make sense? Now, if we were simply in the place where we were sitting in Mars Hill, that's good. That'd be the end of the church. Let's just pray. All right, that's cool. Let's go. But that's so great. So, okay. So we're not going to say that, that the church has replaced Israel. No, okay, the church has a mission and we should be about God's mission. We're going to be the light God called us to be. And whether the rest of the church or the world, I'm sure there are those that are being it, some that aren't. And I'm not going to worry about someone else's household. I'm going to pray for us as a mass because we're all part of that. And I want to just say, Lord, just use us, please. But we're not going to freak out and start trying to figure out how to better argue and to better out-argue and to sit down with some guy that calls himself an atheist and all that. It's like, look, at the bottom line is what he needs is evidence. Be evidence, beloved. Fall in love with Jesus and get contagious. What I've learned is if you are contagious, it's probably because you you infected. And if you're not contagious, it's probably because you're not or not enough. I'm like, Lord, infect me with your love. Infect me with your joy. Infect me and overcome me with your Holy Spirit. And then, Lord, you told me you'd make me a fountain. Lord, let me spill you all over everybody. Let them deal with it the way they need to deal with it. But let me make sure that I'm quick to give the gospel and trust your Holy Spirit will do the work. And the good news is I can walk out of that thing and go, oh, I wish I had said. And God's like, yeah, but you didn't because it wouldn't have worked. And I chose for you not to say that. Have you ever tried in the middle of something like that in an argument? And you're like, I got this thing. This is going to kill him. And they're like, ah, and then it's like, it fell out of your ear. And you're like, you know, you're like, you're like, at this point, like your gloves are on and you're like, and all of a sudden you're like scrambling and you're like looking for that thing again. Where is, where's that statement? I know, this is going to kill him. Ah, oh, come on. And you're like, God. And God's like, stop. This isn't about winning an argument. It's about winning a soul. And that's different. I've won arguments and gotten nowhere with the soul. I've been at places where by the time you're done, you used to have an atheist booth in San Luis Obispo. And boy, you'd sit with those people. And by the time they're done, they're just like, stop, okay, I agree with whatever you say. I just agree. Okay. So you want to give your life to Christ? No, why would I want that? Just stop. Oh, all right. Just don't mess with me. I'm a medical. Oh, yeah, look at where that went. Now, listen. Listen. <laughs> Back in our text. Here's what we're looking at. Has God really cast away Israel? Of course not. I'm an Israelite. So you can't say that God's sending all the Jews to hell, for goodness sakes. Funny, because the ironic thing is, theologians go there with this text. They're like, well, God selects some for hell. Funny, because if that's the case, you have to pick the Jews for that, because that's the text. But he isn't doing that. By the end of it, he goes, hey, look, have they fallen to the place where they can't be restored? He goes, oh, come on, are you serious? Is that where you're going to go with this? Now, now follow me, and you're going, well, what about like, the giving him blindness and all of that stuff? Clearly, it's like, let me ask you, did he do that permanently? If so, then they would have tripped and fallen in a way they can't get back up. But please hear me on this, and I'll go through it quickly, and maybe we will get to the chapter. I don't even know what I'm doing. Follow me on this. Listen, God isn't cast away as people, verse 2, and let me tell you why. Because I'm one of them. He's like, hey, let me give you an example from Scripture. How about Elijah? Elijah went through one of those situations. 
Now, you ever have a problem trying to say which one's which? Remember, like, the first guy's name is Elijah, then the second one's Elisha. In, in Hebrew, it's a lot easier. The first one's name is Eliyahu. Eliyahu! And the second one's Elishama. So that's a little easier. But for the sake of this, let's just call the first one, and the one that's here, Eli. We're going to make it easy. Eli's this guy, Eliyahu. Here's the situation. This guy is a prophet who hears. Please, please, please hear me on this, beloved. He's a prophet who hears. He shows up out of nowhere. We know him as the Tishbite. I don't know if that's a tribe of people because we have no one else in Scripture that's listed as a Tishbite or whether there's a Tish that he bit. I don't even know what a Tish is. But I do know this. That he's a guy that seems to show up. He seems to be, at least according to later on in Scripture, he seems to be hairy. He seems to be somebody that John the Baptist sort of makes sense when John the Baptist shows up on the scene. But he just, he shows up on the scene and what we have is this really, really wicked king who marries this really, really nasty gal from Phoenicia, just north. We know her as Jezebel to this day. When you say that Jezebel, chances are that's not a good thing. And this guy shows up and all we read is he shows up and he's like, until I say so, no rain. And it says, and then the Lord spoke to him and said, get out. And he's like, now imagine as a king, you're like, he doesn't have cable. He doesn't have satellite TV. This is like the most entertaining thing of the day. And you're like, well, this is a weird day. Don't get these things every day. Well, that was weird. You go to sleep that night, you think, well, that was a weird guy. A week goes by, no rain. That's kind of normal. Two weeks go by, no rain. That's a little less normal. Sooner or later, it stops raining, and you're like, it's been years. And you're like, oh, this isn't good. Finally, he goes, all right. He shows back up. And as he shows back up, he's like, no, look it. Let's have a showdown. God's already told me what's going to happen. You go get all of those guys that are on staff. You've got 850 false prophets on staff. I mean, of those 400 of them, dance around this big wooden phallus. That's what it is. A giant male member that they dance around. I, I, I don't even, don't, sorry to even give you the picture, but the idea is that was what they're, these guys were on staff. He's like, come on. Let's get him up. We're going to have a showdown. And, and of course, we love that story, don't we? Because it's like Elijah's cocky and he's sarcastic and he's, like, he's, he's British. I mean, he's, he's like, oh, well, <laughs> maybe you should call him louder. I think he's uh, in the toilet or something. I mean, it's like, you know, he's like kind of having this, he's having this cheeky fun with these other prophets. And by the way, moshing is introduced there. They're running into each other. They're, bo- you know, they're, they're running into each other. They're cutting themselves with stones. They're gashing, so their blood gushes out. And it says, and no one listened, and no one heard. Sooner or later, the people even got tired of watching it on YouTube. And they're just like, we're so done with this. And they're just dancing around screaming, and nothing's happening. And all it was simple. He said, we're going to go up on Mount Carmel. And as we go up on Mount Carmel, we're going to kill an ox, and we'll see which one comes and sends fire down. Now, please hear me. Baal? was supposed to be the cow god rode on the back of a bull and threw lightning. And he's supposed to have lived, as you're probably aware of, they were all supposed to be territorial. He was supposed to live, you got it, Mount Carmel. He gave them every home court advantage. Did you get that? He's like, we'll kill that bull that you think he rides on. Let's see if he answers by his little lightning bolt. And we'll go to his house just to make sure that he's there. 850 of these guys dance around like crazy, getting nothing. Finally, Eliyahu says, Lord God, please, please show them that you're real and you still want them. And you're calling, and you're calling them back. Listen, you're calling them back. Now look, at if God were like us, he could have called fire down and the fire could have gone and just killed the 850 prophets. Let's think about it, right? But that wasn't the point. 
Oh, they'll die before the chapter's done, but they'll have time to realize who the real God is before him. And he repairs the altar and he cries out to God and he tells the people, how long are you going to waver between two, two positions? How long are you going to walk this fence? How long are you going to go, give me a little bit of heaven, but until then I'm going to walk in the world. How long are you going to do that? How long are you going to be like, I just really, really want everything the world has to offer and then I'll try to cash in on heaven later. How, many, how long are you going to do that? And so he's like, all right, Lord. Hey, wait a minute. This is still too easy. Cover it with water. Cover it with water. Cover it with water. Which, by the way, don't you think that might be a little rough? It's been a drought for two years. So you're taking the king's water. You're taking anybody else's water. And he's like, all right. Y'all ready? Water! And poof! Yeah, see, how about that, huh? How you like me now? Now listen, now, and all of a sudden people are like, okay, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, right? And listen, this is my man. Everyone likes this, right? Everyone likes this guy. God says something, he listens, and he's in. I mean, he showed up and he said, look, it's not going to rain until God said so. Fine. And off he goes. He's like, all right, hey, so you're looking for me? Let me tell you what. God told me this is it. And that's been the whole thing. And then he goes, now, after all of that, he goes, now look, there's going to be rain. Tell the king there's going to be rain. He heads down. And by the way, Usain Bolt got nothing on Eliyahu. And he starts praying. His assistant's there. And he goes, look at, He goes, look at, I, I, The Lord's told me. The Lord's told me. But his assistant goes, okay, what, tell me what you see. Look at, I'm going to hear. You're going to see. I'm going to hear. You're going to see. So what do you see? What do you see, man? I don't see anything. I don't see anything. No, the Lord's told me. The Lord's told me. I hear it. I hear the sound of rain. I hear it. And this guy, his assistant, that's Elishama, that's the second guy, he finally goes, okay, I see a cloud, but it's just like the size of my fist. And he goes, all right, well, you better get going then. He's like, come on, just a little cloud. We know what that's like here, don't we? A little cloud, and all of a sudden you blink, and it's like, right? So here we are, and all of a sudden Elijah goes, and he kind of tucks it, he grabs that back of his moo-moo, tucks it in, and then, and here's the king, he's in his chariot, and there's Elijah just going, and he gets there before him. Now, up to this point, I love this guy. He hears, he obeys, he does. He hears, he obeys, he does. You got it so far? So what's up with this whole little whiny chapter? Where he's like, oh, God, they killed everyone. It's just me. Something interesting happens here, and don't miss this. If you can get to the place in 1 Kings chapter 19, go find it quick. Would you do that? Go to the table of contents, what you need to do. 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, when Elisha had that big showdown, he killed all those, those false prophets on staff, 850, which you would think, by the way, the queen would be happy about because that's less payroll, but she's really upset because all of her prophets got shamed. Did you get there, some of you? Well, if the Lord were to move us, pray that he gives us a place with better light. All right, anyways. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 says this. And Achav, King Ahab, Achav told Jezebel all that Eliyahu had done, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Eliyahu saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. This is the dramatized version. If you're new to this, I don't always do this. 
verse 3. I'm sorry, it's like you can't make her voice pretty because she's Jezebel. All right, verse 3, look at what it says. And when he... What? Oh, can we get someone that's reading it right now? When he... What's the word there? Come on, give it to me. I can't hear you. I'm... Saw. That's the problem. Listen, that's the problem with this guy. Is that up to this point, God said he listened. He did. God said he listened. He did. He listened. He listened because we walk by faith, not by sight. There's the problem. Do you see it? And God's got to get this guy back where he's supposed to be. How do you get a guy that used to hear the voice of God? How do you get him back there? Interesting. Look what happens here. He saw it. And so what happens when he started letting his eyes govern him? He saw he arose and ran for his life. The last time he ran, he outran Ahab. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree. You ever see a broom tree? They're itchy. They're, and by the way, don't ever try to pull them up by the roots. They're horrible. Anyway, and he prayed that he might die. Okay, any of you think that he's in, in heaven still going, could we have just removed this part from Scripture? Just let me die. Any of you ever been there? Have you, any of you ever been there because your faith in Christ, somebody's made your life miserable because of your faith in Christ? You're in good company. I'm not telling you you should do this. You could actually live a life that actually betters this man here in this situation. Listen. Lord, take my life. It's enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. So he looked, and there by his head was a, was a cake baked on its coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. The journey's too great for you. So he rose, ate and drank, and he went in that strength of that food, those two big meals, which clearly tells us he wasn't eating Chinese food because you're hungry in a half hour. So he went, and on the strength of that, for 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now let me ask you something. Does anyone know the other name for Mount Horeb? Excellent. Say it loud. Mount Sinai. Does that sound familiar, beloved? That was the place where Moses met the Lord. That's where we're at in Exodus. And he went into a cave. Because after those moments, pity parties usually wind up in caves. You don't know it. It doesn't look like a cave, but that's where you are. Because nobody wants to go to that party except themselves. And he spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel that have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And then he said, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, wait a minute, stand on the mountain before the Lord. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly where we're at in our text in Exodus. He stood on the mountain where Moses stood, where God went and covered Moses' face and declared his glory. Do you know, I wonder if Elijah knew that story. And if Elijah knew how God's compassionate and graceful and slow to anger 
Because now Elijah's on the same place that Moses was. And God shows up again. This is it. And behold, the Lord passed by. Sounds familiar. And there was a great strong wind. And it tore through the mountains, broke the, the, broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the fire was not, I'm sorry, but, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And then after the fire, what was it, beloved? Still small voice. Now listen, listen. Somewhere down the line, Elijah felt this. I made sure I made sure there was no spit coming with that chair. Somewhere down the line. Somewhere down the line, something happened and he got blown over. And after he got blown over, the ground started shaking. He lost his footing. Now all of a sudden, how many of you have ever been in an earthquake? I know you probably have. I've actually, I've actually jumped over an, a three-meter desk in the middle of an earthquake because I had two really cool, gorgeous, antique, like 1,500, 2,000-year-old pots that were about roughly the weight of, of Jenny that were up on a thing, and they were coming right down, and I thought, I'm, I'm not going to be under that. Well, anyways, it was amazing. That's probably the last time I'll ever jump that far again. Anyway, so, so follow me. The wind starts to blow, the ground starts to shake, and then comes the fire, the fire, the fire inside. That's exactly where Elijah was. It'll happen to you too. You know what happens? Somewhere you start looking, and when you start looking, you feel this thing, and you're going, oh, I'm, look what I'm feeling. And after you get the feeling, I'm like losing my footing. Man, I'm just trying to find a new place to stand. As I start to find a new place to stand, because it seems like my world's being rocked right now, the fire burns inside of me. I'm like, oh, God, what are you doing? What are you doing, God? But I'm looking. I'm looking for your answer. I'm looking. I'm looking, God. I can't see it. I can't see how this is going to work out. I can't see how this is going to be good, God. I can't see how you're going to make good of this. I can't see why you're doing this. I can't see it. See what God's doing? And finally he goes, Now, can we talk? What God just did with Elijah, he needs to do with every one of us, and that is, He needed to get us back to listening. Because when Elijah listened, he was unstoppable. It didn't matter if there were 850 guys on payroll that had unlimited bank accounts. It didn't matter whether they had all the media and all of the governments. It didn't matter if they had all of the popular opinion and everybody was wavering so it looked like you were alone. It didn't matter because he was listening. And we open up that book and we're listening. Where do we look? But what we're looking for is Jesus. We're not listening. And if we don't listen, where are we going to be? We're going to be looking for the... You know what we'll be looking for? We'll be looking for the fresh wind. And we'll be looking for the fresh ground-shaking experience. And we'll be looking for the fresh fire. But we won't be listening for the voice. And you know what will happen? Oh, the fire will come. And the ground will shake. And the wind will blow. And we'll be just as bad as we were before. We'll still be, we won't be able to figure out how we're still so scared. Because we're not listening. Do you get it? You know what happens, beloved? Great, great men and women. 
great men and women in the ministry fall because of this. Because they start looking out and they start trying to count heads. And they forgot that the one person that's supposed to show up is the Lord. Hey, look, at in the end of it all, hey, I, I, who do I have to tell this to? The Lord, he's the one who brings you, not me. And I would hate, I, would, I mean, and I don't hate a lot, but I would hate this. If you would feel like when you walked in the door, I was busy looking past you to see who you brought. I would hate for you to feel that way. Because this is a family here. And as a family, we need to be able to just be stoked. Who cares? In the end of it all, I can guarantee you there's one person I know that's going to show up at this church because he told me that, and I'm listening. So people say, how big is your church? I'm like, it's infinite. Because Jesus shows up, and the heaven of heavens can't hold him. And you know, people usually go, oh, bless your soul, you're that small, aren't you? How big's your God, man? Please hear me. The Lord is here, and if the Lord is here, I expect to encounter him. If you don't encounter him, can I just be honest and say, that's your issue. I'm having the time of my life. And you know, I think I speak for a few of us, if not all of us here. Okay, we'll look at We've got a couple of short minutes left. Let's get back into our text. I hope you've enjoyed the scenic route with me. I love this. Oh, the last verses, by the way, of that whole thing. What are you doing, Elijah? And he says that whole thing. I'm alone, left, and all of that. And finally, the Lord says, I've reserved for myself in Israel those whose knees who have not bowed to 7,000 of them. Don't, don't stop it. Stop, stop this. Stop looking around to see who else is doing what you're doing. Because some of you will stop doing it because you'll be convinced nobody else is. Or you'll see somebody else do it and you're just convinced they do it better. And neither one of those is healthy. And you know what you do when you do that? You stop listening. If the Lord called every one of us to walk from here to Camden Town Station tonight, and every one of us but Chris prayed and just prayed. But Chris prayed and ran out and started sharing with everyone. But the Lord told you, Ashley, I want you praying. That's it. Would you feel like a failure when you obeyed him, when he told you that's what he wanted you to do? Have you said, all right, Victoria, I'm going to have you, I'm going to use you tonight. And you're like, but, 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 but what? God says, don't forget, you're the tool, he's the craftsman, just surrender to his hand. You know the gospel, this Holy Spirit convicts. What part are you afraid of? That they won't like you? Please hear me. Back in our text. Elijah says, Lord, verse 3, back in our text. Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. I, I'm alone and left. And God's like, you, you know you're not. They seek my life. What does the divine response say? I've reserved for myself 10,000 men who have not bowed the, the, the knee to bow. To Baal. Which just means master, by the way. And then he tells us, look, you can't have grace and works as the root of your paradigm. It's only one or the other. Those that are his still are by God's gift. The issue is, well, who did God offer the gift to? Everyone. The issue is, who took it? Other people pursued it, but they pursued it by their own works, and they refused God's gift for their own earnings. What we've earned is death. What God gives is life. Choose which one. Choose which you want to cash in, God's gift or your paycheck. Well, with that in mind, then, he says in verse 7, well, what then? Israel hasn't gotten 
but the rest were blinded. And I've got I to gotta tell you this because it just burns in my heart, please. And we only have a few minutes left. What in the world? They're blinded? And then I start thinking about Scripture. Please hear me in all of this. Remember, we're doing more than theology here. We're trying to, and can I just say it this way? I believe what the Lord wants for every one of us is what I would call a living theology because we're living epistles. In other words, what he wants is for you to understand so you would live it. The first thing that's very clear and evident, and I have four of them, but I don't know how many I'll get to, but please hear me. The first is simple. God just doesn't bail on anyone or their ministry. He doesn't bail on Israel, and he didn't even bail on Israel's ministry. He's going to restore them. And when they do, by the end of the chapter, we see when, he, when they do, the whole world's going to benefit. So don't you write off anyone. Hey, if you've done something horrible and wicked, if you feel like you've, you've, been, you've been part of a great failure, well, leave it behind and let's watch God give you a greater ministry than you've ever had. Please hear me on this. He knew everything you were yet to experience when he called you. And his gifts and his callings are irrevocable. God never is surprised by your behavior. Understand that. And I can tell you right now, he's got a ministry for every one of you. Stop disqualifying yourself and start being available. Because he doesn't bail on his people. But I do love this. Listen. What does it mean that he blinded? I find this interesting. Can anyone tell me who the first king of Israel was? Go ahead and say it. Blurt it out. Saul. I would dare say the Lord, because he did, but, but let's just say the first human king was a guy named Saul. Right? Can anyone more advanced, can anyone tell me who the last king in Israel was? A guy named Zedekiah. A little less known. Now, please hear me. After the destruction of the temple in 586 B.C., there were no more kings. There were all kinds of high priests and other kind of rulers and so forth, but no more kings. Listen, interesting. The first king, Saul. Saul gets to this place where God says, step off the throne, man. You're disqualified. I'm giving you my, was it the P45? Is that what it's called? just want to make sure I'm saying it right. You know, I'm giving you your P45. You know, go to HR and deal with this. Now, now, understand, what happens is he doesn't. He doesn't. And he continues to walk as king. And finally, there's a battle to be fought. And as the battle's to be fought, he seeks the Lord. And he can't seem to get any response from God. No matter how he does it. Finally, he winds up going to, like, you know, to the psychic fair. Finds a gal with a crystal ball. They had fired all of those people before this point. But this gal, and please, this is the, one of my favorite parts about it. One thing we do know about Saul, two things. God says he's really good looking and he's tall. Anyways, I want uh, to just say that God put those two things together. Not to pick on you guys, some of you. Um, please hear me. The guy is head and shoulders taller than every human being in the area. Head and shoulders taller. Are you with me on this? Head and shoulders taller. And he's going to go, and this is my favorite part, he dresses like someone else and goes to a gal that's like a psychic. I don't know about you, but how good can a gal be when a guy is seven feet tall and everyone else is five and a half feet tall and, and he walks in and she doesn't recognize him? What does he do? Walk in on his knees? Is he coming in a wheelchair? I mean, think about this. How do you not go, oh, you look like someone, but I can't seem to place who it is. He's, he's right. Okay, get that. Okay, but he gets in and he finally conjures up, oh, I want you to call this guy Samuel. And Samuel comes up. And what Samuel basically says is, why in the world do you want any new information from God? The information he gave you was enough, and you are not acting on it. Step down. Do you get that? 
And here's the second thing. Remember, this is supposed to move me. This is going to change my mind on things, make me do something differently. And first is, I know God's not bailed. And believe me, one of the ministries in my heart that burns is to restore pastors. To see guys that are just like, I just can't do it. I'm like, you're looking and not listening, man. And please hear me. One of those other things, though, is this thing. And that is, look, God doesn't want to give us new information if we're not going to act on the old. First king, that was the first king that that's what happened to. Interesting, the last king, Zedekiah, listen to this. That guy is held captive. His, listen, his children, his sons are killed in front of him and then they gouge out his eyes. The last thing that he sees is his son die. That's, that's pretty darn cruel, wouldn't you think? And the idea of it is, I want that etched into your mind for the rest of your life. Etched into your mind. Do you get it? And then it says, then they bound him with bronze fetters and took him away to Babylon. Listen, interesting. The first king is like, look, at, until you listen to this information, I'm not taking you any farther. The last king, this is the last thing you're going to see. The death of your son. Interesting. And then he says, blindness has happened in part to Israel. And I get it. I get it. Listen, it isn't that God blinded them from everything. He showed them his son and then he took away the sight so the last thing they could see was the son and said until you deal with this information i'm not gonna give you any more do you get it oh you could still think on all kinds of areas but it tells us that the veil still lies over their hearts in first corinthians when the the book of the torah is read because they can't see how that's jesus because they won't reconcile the son but they want to know everything else And it tells us that you can't get it. The world, listen, the world can't get this stuff because it's spiritually discerned. And I get the idea here. When I'm talking to someone, this is why I'm not as concerned about all the other arguments. Someone's like, look it, I have this lifestyle and I'm addicted to this. And I'm like, hey, or I want to get out of this. Or this is what happened to my mom. Or this is what I was raised in. And I'm like, hey, that stuff could be horrible. But I don't want to argue over all of these other things and the crusades and the inquisitions and the Pope. He doesn't call me. I don't know him. You know, all in the end of it all, Jesus, it's the one thing. And this is the one bit of information. Until you get this, you're not going to get more information. So you really believe in Noah? Who was Cain's wife? Let's get back to Jesus. Because even if I explained it perfectly, you're not going to get it. Because dead people don't understand much. I've learned that. And man, we would get so like, I don't know, I can't argue out over these things. Then don't. Can I just suggest you get the gospel out? That listen, Jesus died for your sins, according to Scripture. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again, according to Scripture. And he was seen by lots of people. You know what's so cool? I don't have to embellish that. I don't have to make it pretty or flowery. That's the power to save. And then I'll let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work. Now listen. God has not bailed on you. You're here, and he is not done with you. I'll tell you when you're done, you'll stop breathing. And I'll take you home. That's when you're done. Until then, you are on the field. He never kicked you off the team. Never. Or you'd think, well, because of this or this situation or because I feel like I'll never, maybe I'll just be able to sit on the bench. God doesn't have bench warmers. Every person on the team plays the field. 
And that's you. And that's you. And that's you. And that's you. And beloved, please hear me. God isn't bailed on the Jewish people. I've heard people say, who goes to Israel? Who sees people get saved there? Can I just say, we do. We've been there over 20 times, and I can tell you, we've watched whole groups of people give their life to Christ, who to this day are in ministry. So don't tell me about people don't get saved. You know why? Because the gospel is the power of salvation. I didn't have to actually hang to fill him on it, you know, the little deet deet, or try to you know, get the little payouts or get a big hat or any of that other stuff. Now, hey, that's cool for some people, but in the end of it all, I didn't have to beat someone with a matzah. In the end of it all, I just want to give him the information. It's like, look, it, until you deal with this, you're not going to get much more. So blindness has happened, but let me tell you, the blindness has happened in part for a time. But listen, all of God's chastising is temporary for permanent results. And he'll do the same with you. You ever have times where you're like, I just don't feel God. Are you looking? Or are you listening? Okay. Let's wrap this up, okay? Listen. They obtained, the rest were blinded. God gave them a spirit of stupor by lasting and will pray. That should not see to this day. Should hear to this very day. And I, I, can I just say, this stupor word Da, 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 da. Stupid word. Please hear me. After we've gone through our Zedekiah text in 2 Kings 25, we've talked about the veil, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 2. This word, is the word that means to tingle or to prick. The spirit of stupor. And every one of you knows because some of you are probably experiencing it right now. Have you ever thought about how brilliant God is? When your body isn't getting circulation to a certain part, what happens to that part of your limb? I'm sitting on pins and needles. Any of you ever have that experience? It's your fingers, it's your arms, it's your feet. Now what does that do? That tells you, do something with that. It's really hard to have that happen for a long period of time before you don't try to take care of it, right? It makes you uncomfortable because what it says is, hey, 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 something's not happening right here. Get some blood down here. This is not so good. Or however, I know that's not your body. Um, please hear me. That's exactly the word that's used here for the stupor that he's given them. Could you imagine if the spirit inside of you was one that was falling asleep, but falling asleep with the tingles and the pins and needles and you're going... Mm, this is, you know, if you don't do something, this is probably going to be bad. Isn't it kind for God to do that? Always given them a spirit of stupor, but they are not getting lulled into a coma. They are getting discomforted into action. And you know, some of you know that because in your own spirits that's happened. You've compromised. You've backed off a little bit and there's a part of you, it's like you can't even explain it, but it's like your spirit gets poked with pins and needles. You're like, ah, I'm just restless and uncomfortable and not happy and I'm grumpy. God's like, yeah, until you get up and exercise that thing again and get some blood, get the blood back into it, you're not going to be happy. So listen as we pray. Tonight, he has not bailed on you. 
He's got a better ministry from which the route you've taken is going to be used. A greater ministry. He does not bail on his own. And if you are in a place right now where you think you have a right to be a jerk, rebellious, spiteful, ungodly, ungrowing, unlistening, and in the simplest sense, you feel like you have a right to throw a spiritual tantrum and be a little brat in Christ. And yet you still want new information from God. Can I just say tonight, get right with what he's told you and then let him tell you the next. Because he loves you enough to say, until you deal with this, we're not moving forward. And you're like, I just feel like I'm in a standstill. Now what if you're like, I I feel like I'm not going anywhere, but I don't feel like there's anything in my life that God, that I'm being disobedient in. Well, if that's the case, maybe what you really just need is a greater faith to step forward. Listen. Listen to what he says to you tonight. Let's get back to that. If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ tonight, can I actually have our fellowship tell you this important information, the most important information. Fellowship, number one. What is it? Oh, yeah. I'm passing out. I can't get it. Number one, Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. Number two, he was buried. Number three, he rose again on the third day according to Scripture. And number four, he was seen by lots of people. Are you going to accept that gift tonight? Will you say yes to Jesus? He's died for your sins. He rose again. He deserves to be your Lord and Savior. And He wants to take you beyond this. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You that You don't give up on us. Thank You that You've never stopped loving us, never stopped wanting us, never stopped desiring us, nor never stopped calling us to ministry. Thank you, Lord, that you knew the weaknesses, you knew the foolishnesses, you knew the choices that would happen to us and the ones we would make. But thank you, Lord, so much that you've never changed your mind. And God, I pray right now for every believer in this room, you reignite us with a simple heart that just simply says, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do whatever it is. Until I argue with you. But Lord, as far as this one is concerned, I just want to give you total surrender and say, Lord, no matter what you want to do with my life, just do it. Because I know whatever you're going to do is best. So I want to trust you in that. So Lord, tonight, you've not given up on us. You've not given up on the church. You've not given up on England. You've not given up on this world. This is still your world and the glory thereof and the fullness thereof. And we just want to stand on your, your ground as your ambassador and say, this belongs to my dad. So Lord, forgive us for what we've tried to argue what you wanted to make simple. We don't want to argue about the life ring. Just give us the faith to throw it. And to trust your Holy Spirit will yank them in. So, Lord, we just want to take that burden off of us and instead we want to rejoice in you. So, Lord, tonight, right now, every believer in here, reignite our hearts. Lord, not what, and I know we've often prayed, Lord, set that fire in, but Lord, what, what I pray first and foremost is unplug our ears to hear you. So, Lord, that the ground that you move be in front of us and not just, not just ours. 
Lord, that the wind that blows, Lord, would blow others over in you. And that the fire that would burn, Lord, would burn away all the dross, all of the hay, wood, and stubble. And that we could be find, found with the purity of that precious, pure gold of our face. So, Lord, here we are. As much as we know in our own inventory, it's all yours. Lord, I know you're going to probably muck about our lives this week and we're going to go, why did I pray that? And then remind us, Lord, it's because you're, you're about good stuff. The best stuff. And right now, within the sound of this voice, if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, or maybe you're not sure, you could walk out of here, sure. It's pretty simple. Look, at Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. The Bible promised he would do that. That's how your sins are paid for, is Jesus. He was buried and he, in the third day he rose again just like Scripture promised. And he was seen by all kinds of people that testified of that resurrection. And I am here to testify that Jesus is alive, he's resurrected, and that he's living in me, and he wants to live in you, and he's asking for your permission. Are you going to accept that gift tonight? And if so, I want to pray a prayer, and at the end I ask you to say, Amen! And what you're saying is, yes, let that prayer be my prayer, let those words be my words. And here it is, God in heaven, I confess to you, I'm a sinner, I'm not perfect. But if you really did send Jesus to die for my sins like your Bible promised, so that all my sins could be punished on Him instead of me, and that He was buried and He rose again so that all of it could be conquered and I could have a new life, that resurrected life, well then I say yes to Jesus' gift. I don't want to do by works what you want to give me as a gift. So if you want to give me salvation, and you want to give me forgiveness, and you want to give me purity, and you want to give me a brand new life, I say yes. But I recognize to say that, Jesus, you have the right to be the Lord of my life and not just my Savior. So here you are, Jesus. Here I am to say, yes, be my Lord. Lead me now. I surrender myself to you in your name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.